Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. And without further ado, please allow me to introduce uh, Walter Mosley is the author of more than 50 critically acclaimed books, including the major best-selling mystery series featuring Easy Rollins. Uh, his work has been translated into 25 languages and includes literary fiction, science fiction, political monographs, and a young adult novel. Um, in 2013, he was indicted, inducted into indicted. <laughs> gotta, gotta, gotta stay off the news. Gotta stay off the news before our events. Gotta stay off the New York Times before an event. Um, inducted into the New York State Writers Hall of Fame, and he is the winner of numerous awards, including an O. Henry Award, the Mystery Writers of America's Grand Master Award, a Grammy, and PEN America's Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he currently lives in New York City. Please welcome Walter Mosley. Hello, hi, how are you? Um, I'm okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, I kind of think of what, what I'm going to do. I, I'm, I'm probably going to read from the book. Um, and what to say, this, you know, I have written, I have published uh, 57 books. And um, over the last 27 years... And, but this book I've been writing for 20 of those years. I've just been writing it, like, kind of continually. And, and, I, I, and I, I didn't finish because I couldn't figure out what the ending was. Like, you know, and, and it, the ending kind of informs the rest of the book. It goes, like, backwards. And so I just kept trying to, to do that and, and not, not doing it. And so then I, like, um, I... Uh, I finally figured it out, you know, and so that was good. I said, well, you know, the hard part is um, writing the book that takes you 20 years to write, you know, and then I started sending it to publishers. So I sent it to 17 publishers and they all rejected it. And, you know, it was kind of funny, you know, because I said, well, you know, I didn't ask for that much money, all, all things considered. I mean, they would have made it back. <laughs> and, and, and it was like, and like people would say things like, like the whole thing would be too intellectual like that would be the whole rejection one woman said I'd be happy if you come in and I could talk to you about how you write a novel you know which I'm like really because I've probably written more novels than you've read you know it's like and, and so there was that and and you know and it was um, it was a but it was a, a long process of, of rejection and and, and wondering, you know, because when people reject you, you think maybe you did something wrong. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, and, but I would reread the book, and I said, well, it looks okay, you know, and then I would send it out again. And, and you know, and, but, you know, finally, you know, like uh, um, uh, Grove Atlantic, which is funny, like it would be the best press to take my book for me as far as I was concerned. And, and so, and they published it, and, you know, they said they published it, and I did some work on it, and I think it was, you know, good work, but... Not, not a deep change to the book. Now, the, the, and I think, but the, but the reason that, that people were rejecting the book um, 
was, I, I, I think I figured it out, you know, because I'm, I'm Walter Mosley, so I write urban, you know, gritty novels, and we live in, you know, in capitalism. Capitalism, the main thing of capitalism is the production line. The main thing about the production line is specialization. I put the left front tire on the Pinto. If you put the left front tire on the Pinto, you can't come in one day and say, I'd like to install the air conditioner. <laughs> they say, well, you know, you need a whole new education to, you know. So Walter Mosley, the gritty urban, you know, writer, um, like as writing, you know, like about, like, you know, the concepts of history and uh, concepts of historians, so like, you know, and, and philosophers. So I'm talking about Nietzsche and I'm talking about, you know, Roman philosophy about fate and, you know, all this other stuff. And, and the people who, um, who, who were reading the book didn't know what I was talking about. And they also didn't believe that I knew what I was talking about. Like, so if I, I was Cornell West, they might have published a book, you know, <laughs> because, you know, he was at an Ivy League college. But like, Walter Mosley, who you know is urban and gritty, uh, uh, can't 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 write the the, the novel. You know, it, it's kind of a it was like an interesting like series of events. You know, trying to get out of your box. You know, like I mean, everybody like in America is always trying to get out of their box. Mostly they fail, and and if they succeed, uh, they get less money. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the truth of everything. But that's okay, you know. It's not it's not so bad because you know money is like the the problem in the first place. So, so I've I've written this book. It's an, a very like it's a very intellectual book. However, it's me writing a book. So there's you know there's sex and there's violence and there's like you know and there's and there's a lot of you know personality and, and character and and kind of contradictions and even a little bit of mystery here and there, and so. You know, so it's not, you know, boring, like a lot of, like, like novels of ideas that I read. You know, I mean, I said, these are, these are really good ideas, but I don't want to read this book. I really, just somebody tell me the ideas, you know, one, <laughs> this idea, two, that idea, you know. <coughs> so anyway, so I'm going to read very short, and, you know, I, and I've ne I, I, I don't remember having read here before. I may have, but, like, since, since I haven't read here before, I'll explain to you why I read very short. Um, uh, there are two reasons. The first is, if the longer you read, the fewer people buy your book. You know, and so like, you know, that's just it. You know, that if you read long enough, they say, "Are you going to buy it?" I said, "Man, I already heard that book." You know, <laughs> I'll buy his next book maybe. You know, but um, and and the second thing is, is then I, you know, I can answer questions, which I like doing. So, uh, I'm, I'm I've chosen a chapter in the middle of the book, um, which I think gives you an idea of the of the breadth of uh, the character and his experiences, John Woman. The only thing I'll say is that just before he's in this car driving, he was, he, he's teaching at a university in, in Arizona. Just before he was in the car driving, he was at a prostitute uh, motel uh, 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 in a place called Spark City. And, uh, and, and, and just the understanding the thing about him and the prostitute is whenever he goes in, she says, well, do you want me to tie you to the chair or to the bed? I mean, that's, that's who John is, in a way. All right, so he's driving away back to the university where he teaches. The speedometer hovered around 90. John didn't feel the cold, only speed and wind. Ten miles from faculty housing, a shiny-eyed coyote darted into the road. It lowered itself on its haunches, yellow eyes glaring at the sports car's headlights. 
Without thinking, John jerked the steering wheel to the left. He, the car skidded out into the desert, spinning uncontrollably as it went, knocking down several Akatillo trees. Finally, the car raised up on its right side, almost rolled over, then crashed down on its wheels and juddered for long seconds while the metallic frame strained and creaked. The radio came on. James Brown was singing, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, on an oldie station. The right headlight winked out. The stars, John thought, must be laughing at the crazy dance of the classic car. He also wondered about the meaning of the song. Though he'd learned his profession from his father, Herman, his mother's superstition still held sway over his heart in much of the same way that the hovering half-moon controlled faraway tides. Twenty or so feet from the car, the topaz-bright eyes of the coyote blinked. The creature John imagined had run away, but then returned, thinking that maybe there was some food spilled, or, or better, blood to lap up at the scene of the accident. Gazing at each other over the desert span, both man and canine were motionless. John considered honking the horn to frighten away the sometimes deadly desert jester, but instead he climbed over the side and stood there. Illuminated by the single headlight, the black and brown streaked beast sniffed the air. Maybe John had been wounded, the scent of his blood on the breeze. The coyote yipped, hopped, and then in the middle of a turn, disappeared. John leaned back against the warm hood. There was a, a chill in the air. His mother would have said that it was all a single sign. He should see either a priest or a fortune teller to decipher the meaning. But he was afraid of seers and holy men, worried that their powers might be based on something real, that they'd find him out if he got too close. So he climbed back into the one-eyed green T-bird and drove t the 10 miles back home. The faculty complex was protected by 12-foot-high matte adobe walls. The wrought iron gate across the, the driveway was locked at night, attended by a uniformed guard, but the late night sentry was not at his post. John stopped at the barred entrance, sat back in the driver's seat, and fell immediately to sleep. He was sitting in a dark room. Uh, fancifully pulsing light came through large industrial-like windows. The neon pulse was from a blinking sign somewhere outside. This light was blue and red. These colors refused to combine. Each time the sign flashed, John saw something different. The first burst revealed a bookcase filled with tomes, some of which were hundreds of years old, while others were modern-day publications with gaudy book jackets uh, promising things unworthy of the written word. The second flare of blue and red illuminated a high wall where some mad painter had fashioned a huge ogre made mostly from thick black and brown brushstrokes with hints of scum green here and there. The third blaze slammed down on Chapman Lorraine's corpse, a deep and bloody cleft in his temple. The dead man was seated awkwardly on a tarnished brass throne festooned with huge, cool-colored man-made jewels that were both opaque and brilliantly striated with platinum and radiance, with platinum radiance. The light faded, but John could see the afterimage of Lorraine quite clearly. There seemed to be some kind of intention in his unfocused eyes and the crooked grasping of his powerful fingers. He's trying to hold on to me through life, my, my life through me. Uh, he's trying to hold on through, uh, to life through me, Dreamer John thought. The neon pulsed again. John was afraid that the new brilliance would bring Lorraine fully alive, that those dead hands might drag him back to pay for his crime. But instead, the light seemed to trap the dead man in its cloying glow. Chapman was stuck to his blackened throne. Dreamer John took in a deep breath that came out as a sigh. After two or three of these exhalations, he noticed the sound, a, a gentle tapping. The light went down and the tapping stopped. 
When blue and red filled the room once more, it started up again. John found himself walking down a long, dusty hall guarded by sleeping dogs beneath hanging candelabras. The candlelight flickered, forming and reforming the walls into hallucinatory images. These possible, impossible subjects ranged from hummingbirds uh, frozen in mid-flight to huge Soviet farm tractors that appeared to be breathing. His father was wearing a scuffed-up suit of armor, seated upon a brass-plated horse. Dreamer John wore a shapeless hat and carried a rude rucksack fashioned out of simple calicoed cloth. A column of tiny spiders marched in the opposite direction along the edge of the wall. Looking closer, John saw that the spiders were actually little severed human hands, their fingertips frantically stamping on the floor. The tapping came again. John looked up. He was standing at a plain wood door. Who, who is it? M me, of course, a woman said. She sounded older, if not elderly. It was a familiar voice, but he couldn't place it, like, like the first notes of a song on the radio. You know the tune, but can't name it. He hesitated. After a few seconds, he felt something wet and warm against his hand. He flinched and saw that it was one of the guard dogs, now awake, come to greet him. John smiled at the friendly gesture and pulled the door open. The woman standing there was short, in her early 50s, thin but not skinny, with dark brown skin like chocolate fudge. Her full-length dress was made from natural canvas-like material printed with five or six rude images of blue and red roses. She wore a cotton hat that was round with a ridge along the brim. Half a dozen daisies grew out of the top as if from soil. Her glasses held delicate pewter, pewter frames surrounding large brown eyes that watched him closely. There was half a smile on the woman's lips. The smile tweaked his memory. You're, you're, a, 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 you're a fairy godmother, he stammered. Her smile deepened. You're my fairy godmother, he said, shocked. How are you, Cornelius? N not too good, he said. I, I, I mean, nothing's all that bad, but it's cold in here, and my homework is so boring, and I can't get the man I killed out of my head. He's back there in the living room. I, I don't remember his name, but yes, 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 the children's goddess said. She patted his shoulder and walked past him down the candlelit hall of dust, drowsing dogs, and impossible images. All that's over now. When he turned to follow, John felt burgeoning elation in his chest. After one step, he was grinning. Another, and he began to laugh. Instead of a third he stride, he hopped, landed, and swung from, from the waist like doing the hokey pokey dance when he was in kindergarten. He stopped there, watching the brown goddess traipse toward the neon, flashing neon at the end of the passageway. He, he wanted to go after her, but was suddenly afraid of the passion rising in him. What's your name, he shouted. Posterity she said, not turning. Professor, professor, someone was shaking his shoulder. There was an intense light shining. John's hurt, head hurt so badly he wanted to tear out his brain. Professor, stop shaking me, Jasper, John complained. My head feels like it's going to bust. The big Hopi had a set expression that revealed nothing, not joy or glee, anger or love. He called himself Jasper because he liked the stones. Jasper Hutman was the name the university put on his paycheck, but John knew his given name was Hototo. Hototo believed that his tribesmen were put on earth to bring peace and harmony everywhere they went. Does that mean that the Hopi people are here to save the world? John had asked Hototo early one Tuesday morning when he just returned from Senta's motel room. No, 
the big brick red man replied. There are too few of us and too many of everyone else. All we do is carry a little piece here and there, casting it on the waters and hoping for the best. Jasper shook John's shoulder again and the history professor sat up straight. You shouldn't sleep out here in your car, professor. There's all kinds of bad characters up and down this road. And you know, they won't think twice about people like you and me. The memory of the fairy godmother came into John's mind. I, I was waiting for you and, and fell asleep, John said. You were smiling, Hototo remarked. I think I had a revelation. Thank you. So any thoughts, ideas, minor criticisms? Yes. Why, thank you. And I just want to say that, you know, when I write about writing, like I, I have, have a book, you know, this year you write your novel, and I have a whole section on poetry. And, uh, and um, in, a, in, in the new one, I, I just wrote one called Elements of Fiction, and, and, and I have James Wright's poem, you know, about in, being in that hammock. You know, this too, the title's too long. I never remember it. But, but, you know, it's that beautiful poem at the end where it says, I've wasted my life. The, the, the thing is, is that when I studied writing, the only thing that I took every like semester was uh, poetry. I, I'm a terrible poet, but I, 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 you know that almost everything, you know, outside of plot and character development is in poetry. You know, condensation, word choice, music of language, you know, assonance, rhyme, you know, all of that stuff is there. And if you understand it in poetry, then you can understand it in, in prose because, it, you know, they, they started out as the same thing, right? And, and, and I, you know, so I know, I just, I just want to say that, you know, I, I appreciate y you singing it. And it's something that I try to do because, you know, your prose that just lies flat saying, well, the, he walked into the place, he pulled out the gun, he shot the man in the head and walked out, you know. I mean, you know, it works for Hemingway, but, you know, Honestly, it does, but but it really like after a while, you know, it's just like you know. But how does how does how does how does that feel? Is that up to me how it feels, or maybe I can tell through the character? Anything else? Yes. You know, I, uh, the other thing about writing for me is, is this, but this is true about all art. I mean, really, all art, you know, including like architecture. Most of it's unconscious. So like, if you, if you try, like if you approach the, the written word uh, as a conscious thing, like I, I'm gonna, I know what he's gonna say, I know what he's thinking, I know what they're doing, I really, it's really hard to come up with that stuff. But if you're writing it, as if he were saying it, 
and he was exp and he's explaining it to you. He said, "Yeah, I heard her voice, you know." You know, it's like when you when you hear a song on the radio and you can't, you know, it's like it's that, you know. Then you might have to write it differently. You say, oh, it doesn't quite work saying it like that. So you know, you change it and you change it. But, but, the, but the notion of, uh, but the notion that you already know it before you write it, it's true, but it's unconscious. And if in in and so so coming up with stuff like that becomes you know becomes easier because I, you know I, I'm confident that the character or the or the narrator in this case the narrator understanding the character has what what he's feeling yeah yes Well, you know, I mean, right, uh, the, the, the thing about the unconsciousness and art, it's like this. It, it, it works, I mean, I can explain it in, in writing like a novel, because you, what you do is you write a novel or a story, and then, you, and then, you know, that's the first thing. It's like when somebody comes up to me and says, I just w read, w I read War and Peace, and I, and I go, well, how many times? And they look at me like once. I said, well, that's not really reading War and Peace. I mean, you know, you got to read War and Peace quite a few times before you get what, what he was doing. You know, and it's the same thing about writing. You write it again and again and again. So you come up with ideas like, you know, like colors but or, or anything else. And when you first write them, they mean something, but you don't know what it means. But as, as you work it, you work it through, you work it through, and then you say, oh, I'm, and so when you decide to leave something, it's because you've worked out what the, the relationship between those things are. You know, and so, so at some point, the choice is conscious. But in the beginning, all those first drafts, it's just, it just, Yes? When you were uh, discussing disaffected between the, the mood and the language of Tony Moore, uh, uh -huh. Well, you know, to say disaffected, I'm not sure. You know, I'm a very optimistic person. I like, I really am. I like, you know, and it, it's like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm like talking to people that are saying they're leaving the country. And I said, well, where are you going to go? You're going to go to China? You're going to go to Russia? You're going to go to the Philippines? You know, you're going to go to Sudan? You're going to go, I mean, really, honestly. Like, you look at the world and you say, damn, you know, I said, I'm going to leave here because it's so terrible. And I'm going, well, okay. And I guess there are other places that might be better. I mean, I can think of a few uh, that don't want my friends. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not unhappy, like for instance, I'm not unhappy with the world. I'm Easy Rollins, Mouse, uh, 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 Jackson Blue, uh, all of these people in, in the Easy Rollins novels, as time is going on, their lives are getting better. Like, you know, Mouse is like, you know, he's like a heist expert now. He, he does heists all over North America, you know? Jackson Blue is a genius at computers, you know, in the late 60s, and he works for the, one of the largest French insurance companies in the world, and he's a high vice president. Easy has, you know, he has money, he has like a, a you know, he has a, a, an office. You know, I th and, and in talking about things like that, I'm talking about possibilities. Like, there's, there's growth, and, and there's growth con about 
from who you are. So I don't know if I'm disaffected. You know, I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I think there are a lot of, you know, bad things happening in, in, in America in politics. And, you know, I know it's our fault for not supporting and making Obama do what we wanted him to do. Uh, and, I, and, you know, when I look at all the possible Republican presidents, Trump is by far the least offensive. I mean, speaking, he's the most offensive. But what he would get done is the least, you know, because those other guys would never talk. They just do that shit, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we just have the, the Supreme Court, you know. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be better, you know, under Pence, you know. But I, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not disaffected. I, and, and I see definite growth in black culture. And, 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 and I would like, like, the rest of the country to recognize, like, black heroes, black philosophy, black action, black notions that, that really have worked a lot to bring us from one place to another, you know? And um, so anyway, that's the answer to that question. Yeah. Yes? Yeah, but they're but they're up against John, and 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 the end of the and the end of it. Well, no, there won't be another novel. But well, I I I honestly like you know look, I don't think it's pessimistic to say we have enemies in the culture. I mean, I met a guy on an airplane once. And, and he said, well, you know, I'm in charge of sales for Wal Walmart. I'm, 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 I do research and sales for Walmart. And I said, well, what, do you, what do you research? He goes, left-hand buyers. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, 90% of people are right-handed, so we set things up for them to see and buy. But how do we get that other 10% to see and buy those things? <laughs> you know? And I study that, and I make, you know, make changes architecturally and mirror and, and this and that. And I'm like, damn, that, that's how close their study is. Me knowing that doesn't make me pessimistic. It just knows the breadth, you know, the, 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 the ends that my enemies will go to, you know, to, to, you know, to, to do this. It's good to know that, you know. It's, it's good to understand, to, you know, what's happening and what's going on. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that seeing that there are bad things means that you can't, and, and even in the Platinum Path, that's the name of this organization in the book, even the Platinum Path, you know, there are good, there are good things to the Platinum Path, though, and, and John understands it, even appreciates it, but he can't, he can't do it. He said, man, I, I can't do that shit, because I know what history is, and you're trying to pretend that you, you control history, and let me tell you, no one controls history. Yes? What do you mean a personal connection? Not so much drugs. Yeah. Mm, I don't much. Well, you know, I. You know. 
Yes, but I'm not really sure that I could explain it. Uh, Cornelia, before John Woman becomes John Woman, his name is Cornelius Jones. And he's 16 and he's kind of skinny and his mother, he's just madly in love with his mother, but she's kind of distant in a way. And he, he, he has to take care of his father, who's the really one of the most brilliant men who's ever lived. You know, and, 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 and he's doing his father's job and he's going to school and he's, you know, and like he has a little, you know, a little uh, mattress upstairs that he masturbates in, you know, and, and you know, kind of, he can't really stop doing that, you know, like you are when you're 15 or 16, you're going, well, I need to masturbate again. That's been, you know, it's been four minutes. <laughs> and, and then this giant guy but bursts in and grabs him and starts shaking him and saying, I'm going to fire your father and you're going to be in the streets. And he grabs this thing and hits him and kills him. And there's a connection there between how weak he is and how vulnerable he is and how he responds. And in that, it's, it has something to do with me and how I th you know, think of myself and thought of myself at, at some point. But, you know, it's not like, you know, I run around beating up people, you know what I mean? It's, but it's like, or, you know, but, but to think, well, what happens? And then to understand who he is in relation to that act, which is really, that's what the book is about, who he is in relation to that act. Yes? It depends on the book, you know? I mean, this book was writing the ending, you know? Uh, when I wrote Killing Johnny Fry, my erotic novel, it, it was you know, trying to saying, I gotta stop. I only write three hours a day and I don't wanna write any more than that, you know, cause I, I couldn't stop writing it. But mysteries, a lot of times it's how the plot works and how the plot works according to the story being told and the, and the changes in the characters that are, you know, the, the main characters in the story. Well, it depends, it depends on which one it is. Same thing. I mean, like, you know, each, each book brings up a different thing. Yes? Well, you know, it... it <laughs> well, I couldn't finish it, like I said, because I couldn't find the ending. And if I couldn't find the ending, I, I, I didn't know how to get to the ending. I mean, that was the, that was the problem. Um, and... You know, this book, you know, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell pe the people I was sending the book to, you know, like, because it sounded like I was whining, you know. So, but I did go to a Ph.D. program in political theory, and I studied these people, and I know them, you know. And, and it's like, and I understand, like, you know, there's a, there's a notion that history of, of deconstructionist thinking, history is the only truly deconstructionist art. It's because history didn't happen. Whatever you think something else happens. Like you go to your aunt and say, remember that time when I did this and that? And say, oh, no, no, you didn't do that. Your, your, your brother did that. And you're like, what? You know? or, 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 um, or the other point, history happens in the future. So you know, Richard III is a, a, is a villain for six centuries. And now all of a sudden, we realize, hey, he was a really good guy. He was working with the working class. As we change, our perception of history changes. As our science changes, our perception of history changes. Like, there's like all of this stuff. And, and we never have a full, full concept of it, you know? And so, I mean, that was, and that was, I was trying to make that work with an ending. And that was like, you know, very difficult, you know? 
And, and, this, and that's what he says. I mean, John is a professor. He, he has like four or five lectures in here. They're short, but, um, but they're, they're about like, how do you know? Well, you know, well, well, tell me about yourself. He said, oh, I can talk about what they did, but I can't talk about what I did. If I can't talk about what I did, I should like get another profession because history is about what happened. And the m first thing that happened was your life, right? And, and that's why he tells people, I, my job is to, to, to dissuade you from becoming historian because it's the hardest thing you will ever do if you do it right, you know. Yes. Um, well, you know, he actually gives, you know, like lectures on things like the, the Roman uh, philosophy of amor fate, love your fate. And then he compares that to Nietzsche, who talks about the finite universe, you know. And so I think that when I say things like that, they kind of go, oh, my God, you know, because, you know, they haven't read about amor fate. And, and you know, the, the, you know the, the gritty urban fiction writer probably hasn't either. And so he might be wrong and we'll get in trouble. The New York Times will tell us that it's, it's you know, he's, he's stupid. And we were stupid for publishing him. I think that that's part of it, you know. Uh, but another part, which, you know, I th find very interesting, a, 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 a very uh, powerful uh, 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 book uh, review section editor, the guy who runs the whole thing, we called him, I don't know, 13 times, 14 times. And, and, and you know, sent him the book, sent him uh, things about the book, sent him reviews of the book. Uh, sent him the book again, and finally on the 13th time, somebody talked to him, and, and he said, well, what did, what did you, so we, we really want to make sure that you, who you're going to give it to, you know, will understand it. And he said, well, I gave it to the mystery editors. And, 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 and the, the publicist said, but, but he's not a mystery writer. And he said, it's Walter Mosley, of course he's a mystery writer. Hadn't, hadn't looked at the book, you know, had, but he saw my name, and you know, and now, you know, hopefully the mystery, like, editor will kind of pick a literary reviewer to review the book. You know, it's the only choice we have left, you know. But, I mean, I, it's, there's a lot of, like, you know, capitalist presupposition. Yeah, but, you know, but, like, people think I'm a mystery writer. And in America, mystery writers are a, a couple of levels down from good writing. You know, you might al almost tell your kid, well, don't read that. It won't be good for you. You should read Shakespeare instead, you know. Not understanding what Shakespeare is about at all, you know. It's like, you know, but hey. Yes? Where? Wherever I am. Often, but sometimes by hand. Uh, always, when I'm halfway through the reviews, uh, uh, the, the revisions, I, I, I read it out loud into a tape recorder. Um, you know, I wrote this morning, 
in San Francisco because that's where I was this morning, you know. And tomorrow morning I'll write in Los Angeles because that's where I'll be, you know. I mean, and and but you know, on a, on a computer most often, you know, I was a computer programmer before I was a writer, and and so I'm I'm used to working on computers, and it's easier than than a lot of other ways. Because I, I just wrote this whole novella, Leonid McGill novella by hand. And when I got to the end, I said, oh, damn, I'm going to have to type it into my <laughs> computer now. That's going to have to spend the same amount of work that I spent writing it, putting it in the, you know. I could hire somebody to do it, I guess, you know. But I still have to read it and make sure they didn't make 10,000 mistakes, which they did, of course. Did I answer? Uh, yes? I mean, I do walk around the city, but that's like another thing. I'm walking around the city, I'm you know, doing that. You know, and I make up stuff. You know, we, we, were, we were talking earlier about that. You know. you know, describing places and knowing places. You know, like I wrote, a, a, a guy came up to me once, and he said, man, you know when Easy Rollins was down there on Dinker? He said, man, I knew that block. I used to live there. Now, I made up that block. You know what I'm saying? But the, the, the point of somebody believing it, and, 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 and you being true to the validity of, of what a corner looked like and, you know, what the stoplight was and where the rust mark, you know, I mean, yeah, you could do that, you know, but it's, you know, it's, I, 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 you could just make up stuff too, you know, and it, it's, it's just as good because it's the sense of the place that you want to get, not the reality of the place. Um, it's a deconstruction. So you have to read like, like it to get, like, because it's, you know, it's a detailed description. When, when he comes up with it, you go, oh. But it, you know, just to explain it wouldn't make, make sense. But he, it's a deconstruction. And I, and I personally wanted a name that nobody else in America had. And you know, woman isn't a, isn't a valid last name in America. It is in Italy and, and France and a couple other places, but not here. Yes? Blue light, yeah. I mean, I, it's my favorite in as much as I like rereading it. There's no other book that I've written that I like rereading, but I really like rereading that book. I'm just, I just have so much fun with it. <laughs> so many people hate it, you know. They go, I hate that book. That's awful. Don't ever write anything like that again. A woman said that to me once. Don't ever write anything like that again. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yes? N not in the last, you know, not in this little piece of a century, not in the last century. Before that, I think there are writers who, you know, like, they, writers did everything. You know, like, you know, Charles Dickens, he did everything. I mean, you know, Mark Twain, he did everything. You know, he might write a fantasy, he might write science fiction, he might write a mystery, he might write, you know, a historical. He, like, he's just, like, all over the place. And nobody questioned it, you know. Um, and, you know, and now it's, you know, it's, you know, it, it, because it's based on, you know, how you're going to make money, it becomes very difficult, you know, to, you know, somebody says, well, you do this. You know, that's why I have so many publishers. What happens is I write an Easy Rollins novel, and then I write another novel. And my publisher says, well, I would like an Easy Rollins novel. So, well, I, I, I'm, I would, okay, I want this one. They go, no. 
So then I go to another publisher and I say, well, here's this non-Easy Rollins novel. I want you to do it. And they say, okay, but we want to sign a deal that the next book you write is an Easy Rollins novel. So I do. I write that book and I write Easy Rollins. And then I write another book and they say, well, we don't want that. We want another Easy Rollins. Okay. And then I go to another publisher. I just like, I just keep <laughs> moving, you know, because, you know, I mean, really, fuck that, you know. I mean, it's like, what's, what's what? You know, I mean, what? You know, it's it's like they'll pretend like you're doing something creative, but no, they really want to see that same book again, and you know, a little bit different, you know, and you know, with me they say a little less sex, and you know, I go okay, yeah, I'm gonna go to another publisher. <laughs> I like Grove, you know, I, m I might actually you know work with them, you know, we'll see. No, they didn't ask for an easy role. So I'm doing one for, uh, you know, for uh, Hachette. You know, I'm, uh, L Little Brown is doing another easy role. And, and, and the Leonid Miguel. So. Yes. I don't know. You know, sometimes people pay me. They say, here's some money, write this book, and I, and I write that book, you know. But sometimes I'm, I just start writing, like the Leonid McGill and, and elements of fiction. I, you know, I was just in between things. I said, oh, I could, I have some time. I'll write this other thing, you know. And that's what, you know, that's what came up, you know. You know, it moves back and forth. Yes? You know, on one, th on one hand, anybody saying they like your book is like a great thing, you know, and it's like, you know, and it, it, it's hard to be greater than it with anybody. On another hand, you know, it made it so that every uh, uh, journalist in the world knew who I was, which made a difference, you know, so like I could always talk to people, you know. And, you know, I mean, so, you know, I just actually did a, I, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bill and, and Patterson did this book together, you know, so like I, I, we went to the Schomburg Library, the historically black library of New York, and uh, and they presented the book there, and, and I was their interlocutor. I, I asked them questions, you know, stuff like that. I, li I like, you know, it's fun. Bill's a really smart guy. He's really, really smart. It's like scary, actually. And, um, you know, and, and also you learn, like, you know, no matter how smart you are, you know, you can't run the world, you know. No matter how smart you are, you can't know history, you know. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, yeah, I, I liked it, you know, I liked it, yeah. yeah. What's the thing about the way you continue, whether it's in book, in the news, or you all write, mm -hmm. uh, that you put ethic into that? Wow. Like the things that you cite are the words of your writers. Mm. So I think in my sense, I would trust a lot more. That's great. Well, thank you. You know, it's like, you know, one, one, one hopes that, you know, that, that, you know, because, you know, one of the things is, is one of the things about me, I think, as a writer, uh, in America is that there are very few, almost no writers, black or white in America, who write about black male heroes. There's a lot of black male protagonists. You know, uh, James Wright, Al, uh, Ralph Ellison, most of Chester Himes, but that, though not all of it. A, a, and a lot of the writers from back then, you know, lesser known writers. There's, to become a black man of like, you know, of power and dignity, you have to be self-critical. 
but the self-criticism is so deadly. And I just like writing about like black people who that I love. That black male heroes filled my life when I was a kid. They took care of me. They made me laugh. They they took me places. They they, they everything in my life was defined by these incredibly intelligent, incredibly sensitive, incredibly musical men. Like I, and it was like it was so wonderful. And they're like just not in the fiction anywhere by white people, by black people, and. Uh, you know, black women write about uh, female heroes, but black men don't, and other people don't either. They, they think they do, but they don't. You know, they think Shaft is a hero, but he's not. <laughs> he's not, you know. So have I done it? I've answered all your questions. I assume I did. Listen, thank you very much for coming. If you want a book, I'll sign it, and, um, and thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.